Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise, more literally this month than normal, our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, Andy, and with me is first string Elvira, Mistress of Evil replacement, Tessa. Why would you ever want to replace Elvira? And the only person still doing the Transylvania twist, Dr. Sam. He said exercising literally. The power of Christ compels you. It's... Spooktober! Y'all, since this is a sequel, we are calling this one... Spooktober! Bride of Spooktober. This week, Sam has a dwarf and he isn't afraid to use him. Tessa learns that when you are performing a sacred ceremony described in a letter by your priestess grandmother, you had better read the whole prompt. And I watch a horror rom, a horror rom, a, a romantic rom horror. Uh, I watch a romantic horror. Okay, Tessa. What did you watch this week? Uh, and what is the prompt? No, we're start. We're starting with Sam. Read the notes. Corpse Bride is first. Oh, okay. That makes more sense because I thought that Tessa had watched Corpse Bride. Well, well, I mean, she did. Wait, we both watched it because she was there. Because because we lived together. Right, right, right. But hold on. This week, Sam has a dwarf, and he isn't afraid to use him. That's right. Tessa learns that you are, but when you are performing a sacred ceremony described in a letter by your priestess grandmother, you had better read the whole prompt. That's right. Okay, are you saying that doesn't refer to Corpse Bride? That refers to Tessa's The Good House. Yes, although your rom horror thing also applies to Corpse Bride, so good for you. It does. It does indeed. Oh, Great. Yeah. And I'm not cutting any of this out because this is primo podcasting content. We anyway, know. Sam, what did you watch this week? So, <clears throat> I watched Corpse Bride, the 2005 stop motion animated film not directed by Henry Selleck, who pioneered the process in The Nightmare Before Christmas at James and the Giant Peach but instead by Mike Johnson and Tim Burton. Okay, so this is the Tim Burton movie about a pale dude and the pale girl and the creepy thing that happens to them? It is, yes. It is a Tim Burton film. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm just going to wild shot in the dark here. Uh, Johnny Depp. Helena Bottom Carter and Danny Elfman are involved in this, aren't they? You betcha. Your uh, one uh, one syllable words that you're using in response to this is letting me know that you weren't exactly thrilled with this movie. First of all, betcha is two syllables. Second, okay, I... okay, no, no, we're we're going to talk about this right now. Okay. Betcha is two one-syllable words put together. Okay, you see, in the English language, there are these things. Mm -hmm. They're called contractions. And I know you think you know what contractions mean, but you don't because they didn't happen to you. The point is, there's also a (laughs) second definition of contractions where two words become one, Spice Girls style. And so now that... Two monosyllabic words are, in fact, now one polysyllabic word. Okay, if betcha is a contraction, where's the apostrophe? Not all contractions need apostrophes. That's right. They do need apostrophes. Mm, This is some biological essentialism, Andy. You are on thin (laughs) ice. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Just, so, just because, so just because, a person does or does not have a little dangly bit on their word <laughs> doesn't make them a contraction or not. Okay. 
Okay, okay, okay. You you know what? Fargo is now the most contraction-filled movie ever. You betcha. <laughs> okay, you you don't you you don't you don't sound like you were uh, exactly thrilled with this movie there. <laughs> and... <sighs> so Johnny Depp plays Victor von Dort. Wait, Victor von Dork? Dort. So it's just so, French for dork. Okay. It, sure. So the von Dorts are what we call in the Victorian business nouveau riche, which means they are white trash that got money. How do they get money? Business, business, business. So it doesn't matter. Emily Watson plays Victoria Everglot of the old money aristocratic Everglots. Albert Finney plays her dad. They're poor aristocrats, right? Because the nouveau riche actually have the money. The aristocrats have the, the feeling of entitlement. And so they kind of need each other in this way. Oh, like boomers and millennials. I get it. Just so. So, of course, uh, you know, Victor freaks out about being married because he is every single Johnny Depp character in a Tim Burton movie ever, flees to the forest, practices the wedding, puts a ring on a twig. Surprise, the twig belongs to a dead body. Played by Helena Bottom Carter. Her name is Emily, and she was murdered on the night of her wedding, and it's really sad. And this movie is all about that. It's all about that. Okay, Mm -hmm. well, that doesn't sound too bad. Well, I mean, you know, I suppose it's not. I kept watching this whole movie going, isn't this Sweeney Todd? Aren't we just, this feels like Sweeney Todd. It's got Johnny Depp and Helena Bottom Carter, and it's set in the Victorian time period. And that's the movie he made right after Corpse Bride, so I wasn't wrong about that. Also, Danny Elfman. Hello. Hi, Danny. You know, he's great. He's cool. Unlike, um, unlike Nightmare Before Christmas, he doesn't actually do any singing. No, he does one song in this movie because he plays a character named Bone Jangles. Bone, so, Bone Jangles? Yeah, get, like, 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 like the fast food restaurants from uh, North yeah. Carolina? Yeah, you're going to really like this. So, Deep Roy. The walking nightmare that is the Oompa Loompas and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because, oh yeah, this is the part of Tim Burton's career where everything just goes off the rails. Deep Roy plays a character named Bones Apart. Get it? Napoleon Bones Apart? (laughs) We got jokes. Um, Also, we have... (laughs) We have Richard E. Grant, Thor, sorry, Loki himself as Barkus Bittern, who is a rival suitor. We have Count Dooku himself, because again, this is the part in Tim Burton's career where everything looks the same. Christopher Lee plays a creepy pastor named Galswells. You know, there's a and Riddle plays Maggot, a a character who pops out of Emily's eye now and again, and is supposed to be big Peter Lorre vibes. Which, to be fair, it is. I, uh, the word we would use here is pastiche. Let's just do, you know, Tim Burton's top fifteen and just cram them all in a movie, and we'll call it a thing. But the corpse bride is hot. Yes. And and she was several years ago when she was Sally. And I mean, Zero's in this movie, too, except without a sheet on top of him. His name is Scraps. Scraps. His name is Scraps. Okay, so are you saying that Tim Burton stole Henry Selick's uh, stuff from The Nightmare Before Christmas? No. Because 
you know, it's really funny. I, I could not locate the reason why Selleck was not involved in this one. Yeah. Um, he, I, I, has, he hasn't been involved in any uh, Tim Burton stuff since. So, Well, so what's really interesting, I, what I did see is that he developed this process when he was working on Monkey Bone. And so now is a really good time to say justice for Brendan Fraser, of course. Wait, Monkey Bone is... Yeah. Monkey Bone a Tim Burton movie? No, but Henry Selleck was working on it. Oh, okay. Because Henry Selleck is the person behind this kind of animation. Yes. I need to watch Monkey Bone. He, Henry Selleck was also involved in James and the Giant Peach, the, the Roald Dahl adaptation that I haven't seen that I am sure is better than Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's much better. Yeah. Also probably better than last year's Robert Zemeckis joint, The Witches, which I don't know, by this time, that review that Tessa wrote will probably be up on monkeyoffmybacklog.com. Stop shilling, Sam. It's your website too, pal. You're, you're, you're right. Please go to monkeyoffmybacklog.com and click on donate. We don't have a donate button. Ah, what are we doing? What are we doing? This was your idea. Okay, we're talking about this movie. Do you recommend this movie? Well, if I could go back in a time machine. Mm -hmm. So this movie Mm -hmm. came out over 15 years ago, right? So if I could go back in time. Oh, no. Yeah. 2005 was over 15 years ago. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. You'll be over 40 one day and... 15 years ago won't sound so bad. I'm so old. That's the true horror of life. Spooktober! Bride of Spooktober. You better get all these in while you can, because let next week's the last week for a whole year. That's what you think. Don't worry. In my heart, it will always be Spooktober! Oh, but Tessa. Real life horror edition. You're forgetting. About about Spookvember and Spooksember. Well, what's what's really funny about that is that I, I I'm not gonna say it out loud right now, but I think what Tessa and I are doing in two weeks is still very much that. Like we might be doing an unofficial week four, so I I don't know. I mean, really, it's just horror all year round at this point. So why not? But anyway, if I could get in a time machine and I could go back to 2005 or 2006, maybe even 2007, I would definitely tell myself to watch this movie. I wish that I hadn't waited this long because this movie was super disappointing because I am 100% over Tim Burton's shenanigans. And it's movies like Sweeney Todd and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that got me there. And this just feels exactly like that. Let's not even talk about Dark Shadows. But this movie feels like it belongs to that part of his career. And it's not a good part of the career. I hope he has a creative renaissance. I just, I don't know. So, you know, if you're, if you're still in love with Tim Burton, and we've all been there, at one time in our lives, if that's you right now, go for it. You're gonna love it. There are parts of this movie that I did enjoy. I don't hate myself for having watched it. I just spent the whole time watching it going, yeah, I would have enjoyed this more a long time ago. I wish we were watching Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, interestingly, it seems that Tim Burton does not have anything uh, planned. Uh, his... There, there, there's nothing on IMDb after Dumbo. Yeah, that's and that's really interesting. Um, Big Eyes was actually pretty interesting. I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Uh, Christopher Waltz and Amy Adams are really good in that. And it was maybe a peek at what post-Helena Bottom Carter life would look like. Because, of course, they were together in during the time that this movie was made. They are not anymore. They I also, next door to each other, 
Yeah, they yeah they still do live in those adjoining houses. I I also think it's funny because I was not aware Emma Thompson. So of course before Helena Bottom Carter was with Tim Burton, she was famously with Kenneth Branagh, and it was an other woman situation. But Emma Thompson is like no hard feelings, and I'm like yeah, that guy's trash. I mean like you probably shouldn't. Hold a grudge because of that. Like, she did you a favor. She got you away from Kenneth Branagh. Anyway, Corpse Bride. It was good, I guess. Okay. Well. By the way, Sam is wrong. I love Corpse Bride. But I also watched it a lot earlier than he did. So I I guess that is kind of your point. Yep. Thank you. Something something tells me that this will be... A topic for a future week. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's Sam suggesting that we talk about the things that that we uh, that we watched at the wrong time. Uh, yeah, as... and 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 just think if you'd taken my suggestion, what a segue this would have been. It would have been a segue, but instead, I'm doing what I want to do, and that is, what type of horror does it for you? Like what genre of horror? Yes. What type of horror scares you? What are the the tropes that uh, actually make you wet your pants? Okay, this is my yearly reminder that this word has two syllables, everybody. Horror. Horror. Roger. (laughs) Because that's a completely different conversation that is not appropriate for a family-friendly podcast. Wait, are we talking about like like what kind of horror scares you? What 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 sa- what scares you or what do you like? Because no, 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 for me what, that's two different things. Well, it, I I hope it's two different things. What type of horror scares you? What does it for you? Okay. If we're talking about horror that like actually terrifies me because it lives like in a part of my subconscious that unfortunately I can't get rid of, anything involving ghosts, like like I had to turn off Hereditary <laughs> because like the first sequence I was like, nope, can't watch this. So like, you know, I, I think if you're raised in certain environments, especially like conservative Christian environments where they tell you things like demons are real, sometimes those types of stories just, like, even if you don't believe in ghosts, they still, like, terrify you. Yeah, no, I'm very much the same way. But but there are, like, limits to it, because, like, drag me to hell is hilarious. But The Exorcist haunts my nightmares, so. The Exorcist was such a good movie. Oh my god, it's still terrifying. Like, if you haven't seen that film in years, and you're like, oh, well, it was made so long ago, how could it be scary? That film is terrifying. Sam, what, what, what about you? What, what, what are the, the, the things about horror that get you? Well, I subscribe to the Melancholia school of horror film. I, I it, it, horror film isn't, really scary because when you live through when your life is a horror film it's not you know it's really nothing at all so you know in terms of horror it doesn't do it for me one way or the other but i do have an answer what doesn't do it for me I was about to say bad horror, like horror that is like, oh, I'm going to do a thing and you're going to see it coming. I actually don't have a problem with that. I don't like horror movies that are too cute. My example is Cabin in the Woods. That movie is trash. I hate the turn that it takes. I cannot stand that movie. I despise it. It's like, oh, look, we're doing an evil debt. No, we're not. And here's Bradley Whitford. That's not cool, you guys. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Cabin in the Woods is a masterpiece, yo. (laughs) Okay, okay. Uh, Well, for me. What terrifies you, Andy? Wait, wait, wait. Andy, remind me who directed Cabin in the Woods. Drew Goddard. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What? Drew Goddard, writer of the first season of Daredevil, uh, writer of uh, of The Martian, um, director of Good Times at the El Royale. What? Drew Goddard. Okay, continue. What 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 point were you making, Sam? Did you think I was going to say Joss Whedon? I mean, yes, but this is like asking who directed Nightmare Before Christmas, right? It really is. <laughs> yes. Uh... So, all of a sudden, we're right back there. But also, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of my point. Uh, okay. Well, uh, for me, for me, what terrifies me is anything. I am scared of everything. If there is a tense moment, I am tense, okay? If that stupid musical sting before a jump scare starts, I'm just just done. I I I cannot I I I I like immediately start to pull up my my blanket and try to go under. I I everything terrifies me. Everything. Okay? If there's a moment where it's like, "Oh, a jump scare's probably coming," and horror movies do this thing where they're like, "Yo, it could be a jump scare, but maybe not. And then and then the, the musical sting ends, and then the jump scare happens. It all terrifies me, okay? I am scared of everything. Are you like me, Andy? Do you jump at loud noises? Constantly. Like, do you jump at everything? Constantly. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm, going, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I believe, for the first time on this podcast, tell this story. Okay. Tell the story. Of we're ready. Of of one what, what am Dark I? Dark and stormy night. Yes. Whoa, whoa. I went on a date, first date, to go see the movie. Sinister. First date material. Go right. on. As you do. This is coming from us. <laughs> <laughs> and date's going pretty well. At the end of Sinister, people who've seen it know that there's a jump scare at the end. Mm-hmm. I was in the process of getting up, getting ready to go when this <laughs> when this jump scare happened, and I jumped I jumped so hard that I elbowed my uh date in the face and gave her a bloody nose. tell that this story isn't about Sarah because Sarah would not be caught dead at Sinister. Right. And also in the year 2012, uh, when Sinister came out, I was not in Fayetteville. I was in North Carolina. Yeah, that's the part of the story that that I that tipped me off. Yep. That that was it. Yep. Not yep. the part where you gave your date a bloody nose or took her to Sinister. That's right. Yep. Yep. Context so, clues. So so anyway, I, I, I am a jumpy, 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 jumpy person. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so all horror does it for me because I am a jumpy person and the idea of uh and the idea of any tension makes me ready to jump. So I, I find this fascinating actually, Andy, because like I just mentioned, Sarah's approach to horror is no, I will not watch this. It is scary to me and I will not watch it. And so she has like very specific requirements for horror. You seem to like be like, this is terrifying and I love feeling terrified. Uh no, 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 I do not. I I Well then why I despise do you keep watching it? Uh because the stories and tropes are interesting in horror. Uh, I mean, I mean that's, so, that's really it. Is So you, you sacrifice your own emotional well-being for storylines and tropes. Good stories, yes. I, I, I mean, what, I mean, like, what, are you gonna, what else are you going to spend your emotional well-being on? Your job? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Your family? I think he might be right on this one. I do have a question for you. Does Bard watch horror with you? Not anymore. <laughs> Did you elbow Bard? No, uh, I just tend to <laughs> swaddle him like a baby uh, and hold on to him very tightly 
and he does not like that. He's like, man, you gotta calm down. Pretty much. Uh, yeah, no, no. A- a- everything terrifies me. You until until rather recently. All right, I was convinced. Uh, like like. I I was basically convinced that if if you don't like leave the bathroom before the toilet flushes, like that a demon will come out and and get you. Okay, like like loud noises scare me. Turning my back to loud noises scare me. Uh, I am just a jumpy person. So I everything. Mean, if you live outside of Florida, there's really only a ten percent chance on any given day that anything's gonna happen. From a toilet flush. So, I mean, you're probably okay most of the time. You don't know Oklahoma public sewer systems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, speaking of... No, that's not going to work. What did you watch this week, my liege? So, I watched a movie called Paymock. It is a romantic horror movie uh, from the country of Thailand. Romantic horror, you say? That sounds as interesting as an episode of this podcast. How do you even kiss a ghost? Wait, are there ghosts in this? I love your dramatic readings of the questions that Andy writes for you. And that's why they're going to keep getting weirder and weirder and weirder. It's um, called committing to a bit. Uh, so, yeah, this is, um, this is kind of a movie about whether or not there, there is a ghost of, and, and what, what that means. Uh, so it's Schrodinger's ghost. Uh, Schrodinger's ghost, and of course, Chekhov's ghost. Chekhov's ghost in the opening scene, whether or not it comes back. Yes, uh, this is a movie. Uh, it's called Paymok. Uh, you will find it uh, spelled P P E E M A K. Uh. That is the name of the main character. Uh, his name is uh, Mock. Uh, although, as he will say, his name is actually Mark, but no one can pronounce it uh, because his dad was a U.S. missionary. Um, but oh, sets... oh, hi, Mock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so he just like tells everyone, "Yeah, just call me Mock." Um, the the premise of this movie is that in the mid-19th century, right, and there, there's a war, and a bunch of the men who are fighting in the war, um, you know, they, they, they get to go home, and uh, their war buddy, Mock, says, hey, uh, you know, your village is on the way to our village. Come, come, come in, you know, spend some time with me and my wife, and... Uh, and her new kid, you know, this will be great. And they're like, oh, uh, yeah, that that's awesome. So uh, all five of them go to Mock's house where they meet his wife, Nock, with an N. Um, and slowly the four comrades uh, become convinced that Mock's wife, Nock, is a ghost. And they are trying to save Mock from his wife's ghost. Hey, Andy, real fast. So his wife, is she the one who knocks? (laughs) Where did you even hear about this movie? Well, Sam, because I am a cultured person who seeks out things from other cultures that aren't my own. Uh, We're doing a six. We did a five episode podcast on James Bond. Right. White culture at its finest. <laughs> well, there's at least one thing wrong with that statement. 
<laughs> um, and, and anyway, this this was just a a chance for me to plug a YouTube channel called Accent in Cinema. Uh, it's a wonderful YouTube channel that's focused on um on uh, Asian film and uh, Asian film essays. It's it's really fantastic, and this was uh on his list of uh Asian horror movies that people hadn't heard of before. Um, and and one of the things about Paymok is that this is this is a comedy. Uh, I know I called it a horror r- romance, and, and and it is. Uh, Mock is very much in love with his his wife, who is probably a ghost. Uh, and and uh, will completely uh, ignore some huge, huge, huge red flags. You know that would happen if your wife was a ghost. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but 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 this 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 is a comedy. I think first and foremost. Um, so yeah, uh, ba- basically what I'm saying is this is a Sarah approved horror movie. Oh, that that's nice. And I mean, you know, I feel bad for Mock because you know we've all been there. Is our wife a ghost? Is she a brain tumor? Is she, you know, we've all been there. Is she a corpse bride? I hate you. So, we've discussed your scale of horror comedies before. Where does this fall on your scale of horror comedies? Well, since you're, you're discussing this, do you remember what the uh, scale is to and from? I think you know that I don't. Hmm, okay. We need a refresher. Um, I huh? just read my lines, okay? That's all. I know, I know. This is almost why I referred to you as my puppet uh, in, in the beginning, but I decided you, not you to. You almost were, so am I more like a Muppet? No, no, oh, you're, you're, you're more like a ventriloquist doll. Like Slappy from Goosebumps. Um, <laughs> or or that, that one episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where there's a supposedly a killer ventriloquist doll. What was that, Tessa? Okay, puppets also really terrify me. That episode and then the episode of Angel where they do like the the pup like the puppets are evil and they're like eating children through the screen like ugh. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then uh Angel turns into a puppet and yeah, Spike that was gets funny. into a fight with him. That was hilarious, but the the moment in like the cold open of that episode where the puppet like puts his hand on like talks to the child and puts his hand on the screen like I have never been more terrified of a cold open than in that moment. Okay. Okay. You know, um, I I think the real horror here is that both of you have been giving dap all episode to that person. Good job, guys. You are the true horror. Whatever. Shut <laughs> up. Uh, uh, so anyway, back to your scale. The the scale is from uh, your uh, scary movies. You know, and I'm not talking about the genre. I'm talking about the uh, parody films to Shaun of the Dead. And I would say that Paymok is somewhere wherever Abbott and Costello meets the Wolfman would be. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. This 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 movie is straight up just uh, an Abbott and Costello or um, Three Stooges routine with with uh, four of them because there are four four men's there. Uh, four uh, army buddies trying to convince their friend that his wife is a a ghost uh and it starts the movie starts with the the dramatic uh you know war uh we we we're going to charge the enemy and we're going to win and you know we're going to pull out our swords and we're going to go just like king leonidas and 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 they remark wait he lost. He's like, fine, just like the last samurai, and you know, and keeps listing out uh, army situ or uh, 
battles battle battles where the hero dies or the uh, protagonist dies and they they pull out their swords and they run out to go to battle and then you hear the line oh i forgot they had guns classic error yeah cl- classic error but there there are literal moments with the um a character sees something that's ghost like and goes and has to run over, write write down ghost, and then come back, show show the uh the other boys that it's like ghost, and then they freak out because they just read ghost, but they forget like they just saw a ghost. There there's a multiple versions of a uh, who's on first routine. There uh there are moments where the camera and footage is sped up for comedy's sake. Like, this is just a straight up comedy, and it's so wonderful. It's so stupid. So that sounds like a recommend to me. Absolutely. This is also the number one grossing film in Thailand's history from Thailand. So, uh, it 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 is it is it is great. A, uh, it it is much more sweet than you think it's going to be. There's also another great scene where they go into a, a haunted house, like a carnival ride haunted house. The uh, the supposed ghost of Nock starts walking towards them, and they realize that. and And what they do is uh, tie up all the people who are in costumes around the haunted house, and then get in those costumes and pretend that they're part of the haunted house. Um, it's it is seriously a, just a a rip roaring great time. So, pay mock, give it a listen or give it a watch. Uh, if you listen to it and you don't speak Thai, you will not understand what's going on. So, because nobody updated the notes this week, this is the segment where Tessa asks her own questions. <laughs> Tessa, what did you do this week? I read, I read the the 2003 horror novel by Tanana Reeve Du called The Good House. Hmm, sounds interesting. What is The Good House about, Tessa? <laughs> Can we hold that up for you with that help? For, for, for those of you who can't see Tessa, uh, she is talking from both ends of the microphone. Like a Bugs Bunny routine. You're not the only one who can do question bits. The Good House is a novel that follows kind of a classic mold of house is haunted or house is possessed. So the basic premise of this is that the home that belonged to Angela Toussaint's late grandmother is so beloved that the townspeople in Sacagawea, Washington call it the Good House. However, one summer when she's back visiting this house with her family. There's a unexpected tragedy when her son commits suicide in the basement of the house. After two years, she returns to confront the past in this house only to find that there's been an unexpected wave of bizarre violence all throughout the town that seems centered around the house and the land that it stands on itself. Could this all be related to a terrifying entity that her grandmother battled seven decades ago? Or does it have to do with the fact that her son tried to complete a ritual without reading all of the instructions? Could it be that this house is cursed? Could it be all of the above? That's sort of the tension at the in the, the middle of this particular book. Okay, now, for those of you watching, Tessa actually put on an entire costume as she's changing between interviewer Tessa and not. She's whipping her glasses on and off, <laughs> along with her hair. It is quite something to see. Tessa has committed to this bit fully because I was dumb and did not edit the notes uh, properly. Yeah, you wrote my liege, and then you did this. We in the business call that being hoisted by your own petard. So, Tessa, why did you decide to read this book this week? So, I read the... That is, that is a great question, actually. And I, I love your, what you've done with your hair. 
Anyway, I really love Tanana Reeve Du. She is a very famous black horror writer. She, I think, was more popular in the 90s, but she now teaches a very famous black horror course at UCLA. She's married to Stephen Barnes, who is also a very famous horror writer and comic book writer in his own right. She was friends with the late and great Octavia Butler, so there's a lot of that sort of community in these particular books. I read The Between last year, and it was insanely amazing. That was her first book. So I decided this year to read The Good House, because I tried to read oh, at least one horror book every every year or so. So yeah, I, I wanted to read this book because it was one of the books that's considered one of her masterpieces. So what did you like about this book, Tessa? One of the pros that I really like about this book, it is incredibly well-written. Tanana Reevedu is very good at her job. It is kind of dated because this is 2003 that this came out in, so there's a lot of like dated pop culture references, but it's super fun in that way. It is scary as I'll get out. Like I really, Once I really got into it, I could not put it down. I read it probably over a day and a half. It is really invested in this idea of family trauma, which I think is kind of a mainstay. Whenever you have a horror property that is about a house, especially like a family house that's been passed down through generations, it's usually about family trauma and the way that it sort of replicates itself in different generations. This is, this book jumps between timelines. So there's like the present, which is 2003, when Angela Toussaint is sort of investigating this house and trying to figure out what's going on with this like weird wave of violence in the town, which is very like Stephen King-esque in some ways. It then will jump back in time seven decades earlier to talk about what happened to her grandmother. And then it will also have these flashbacks to when her son leading up to the, uh, it'll have these flashbacks about her son in the days leading up to his death so like we kind of get these different perspectives from different family members about this house what's also really interesting though is that there's a lot of race dynamics in this film even though it's not like specifically about that so like the town is mostly white people like this is the only black family that lives in the town and who has lived in the town for years. And it's interesting that it's the white people who call it the good house. And they, when asked about it, they say, well, it was originally, there's two reasons it's called the good house. Originally it was owned by Eli Good, who was a white man who left the house to Angela Toussaint's grandmother for reasons unknown. And two, Madame Toussaint was so good to the town. Like she took in people after a disaster and like, nursed the town back to health. She made these teas that were like amazing and magical. You know, she was this voodoo priestess um, and they really, the town really benefited from it in a lot of ways. But what's interesting is that they leave out the parts where before they decided to accept her, they were like shooting at her house because she was like the only black woman in town that like there was all these like racist hate crimes that were going on that she married a Native American man, you know, and had her, like, daughter in the house, and they accused her of corrupting him because before that he was just, like, the town joke. And, like, there's a lot of these, like, dynamics that the white people don't go into when talking about the history of the house, and yet it affects all of the things that happened that caused the house to become the way that it is. I just wanted to ask very, very quickly, you said a few minutes ago that this was as scary as all of Get Out, the film by Jordan Peele, right? Is that what you were saying? I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty scary in that way. I, it, It's just so interesting because, yeah, that there's this supernatural entity that, like, confronted Madame Toussaint back in the day, but she also might have called it down on the town accidentally. And so, like, there's also sort of this curse aspect to it. I really appreciate the idea of, like, this land and this house are actually sacred and, and good places, but humans have sort of corrupted it. And so you have to, like, cleanse it in some way. There's a lot there about using magic and respecting the rules and what happens when you don't respect the rules. It's all fascinating stuff. So, so Tessa, is there anything that you didn't like about this book? 
Well, you know, I didn't really care for the main romance. I thought it was kind of forced. Uh, you know, Angela Toussaint, she was married before the beginning of the book. And like one of the, the big conflicts in the book is that her... She and her husband are trying to reconcile, and that's part of the reason why she's in town staying at the good house with him and her son. But then when her son commits suicide using a gun that her husband swore that he sold and that mysteriously appeared in the basement, she, of course, blames him for her son's death and separates and gets divorced. And then the rest of the book is sort of focused on this romance between her and her childhood sweetheart. I just really wasn't convinced that that needed to be in there. I wasn't sure what purpose it really had in the book. Like, Angela Toussaint seems like a good enough character that she could kind of stand on her own. I also, there's this narrative voice occasionally that sort of peeks in that's like, little did he know that he had 10 minutes left before everything went to hell. And I just don't really appreciate that in this style of narrative. Like, the rest of it isn't like that. And then just occasionally you'll get this omniscient narrator that'll talk about, like, time. And I... I just didn't really like that very much. It kind of drew me out of the book a little bit. This is a really paint-by-numbers horror book, and that doesn't mean that it isn't good. I mean, like, it is taking on a trope of horror, which is house is cursed. Scary things happen in the house. It's a good version of that, but I don't think it's particularly new and exciting and unique. The ending has a twist that I think is really interesting. So I would definitely say read this book if you're interested in these types of narratives. If you're looking for something that is just completely wild and ridiculous and goes places that you would not expect, I would actually recommend her book The Between over this one, which is, it's so good and is like nothing I've ever read before. But if you like this style of horror, if you like the house style, if you like stories about voodoo that are actually written by people who are part of that culture, I would really recommend this book. I'd really recommend Mama Day by Gloria Naylor, which also has a lot of those elements. The House of Whispers Sandman storyline by Nalo Hopkinson also does a lot with this type of horror. Those are really good. So I, I would recommend this book if that all sounds interesting to you. If not, Read the between instead. I do have one slight trigger warning. Because I hate violence against animals in horror, I know that's a staple of horror, but I just can't stand it. There is slight violence against a dog in this. It is not horrifying or... It's not something that I like personally had to put the book down after reading, but I was terrified of it as soon as they introduced this dog and the dog goes missing at one point. I was like, oh no, this is going to be terrible. So just so you know, just so you're not like worrying the way I was through the book, the dog is okay. The dog is fine by the end of the book. Tessa goes to doesthedogdie.com yeah. when movies happen. Yeah. I, I just want to point out, and this is, this is not that podcast, but Tessa is constantly concerned about whether Vincent, the dog from Lost, is okay or not. It's, it's quite funny. I worry when Wait, he's gone Vincent, the him. one who's behind everything? Yes, just so. Um, before you read us out, Andy, I just wanted to say very quickly. <clears throat> so I, I think if you listen to this episode, there's a really good lesson here. The lesson is this. The older that I get, the least impressed, the l just I'm just not impressed by white people who make the same thing over and over again. I'm not. And, you know, so like I don't need to see the next Tim Burton thing, unless he's going to do something different. I don't, well, I don't really want to see anything by that other guy. But the point is, it, there's no reward in watching the same element of pop culture over and over again, which is how I felt about The Corpse Bride. You know, it was something to take off my list because it had been on there for a while. Or maybe that's why you shouldn't leave things on your list for too long. But the other thing about it is, if you listen to the other segments of the episode today, you know, a lot of people forget, and I, I'm glad that's what we can talk about here, that there are entire other worlds of things, of pop culture, that are not created by white people. And so, if you had your fill, and even if you hadn't, it's, it's good to check out things like Squid Game on Netflix. Or, or Paymock, right? 
or, you know, Tananarive Du instead of, you know, white horror writers who I like, but, oh, you uh, know, come on. Speaking of which, uh, maybe we should talk about, uh, real quick, I believe it's called uh, Horror Noir. It's a Shutter original. Uh, it was originally a um, a documentary, but then they've pushed it into a. Um, it'll be an anthology series. It's uh, just African American creators making horror. Um, I'm into it. Different little short stories. So yeah, it's called uh, Horror Noir. So uh, check that out. Anyway, that's what I wanted to say. So, where can people find us? Tessa, where can people find you? Do you want to plug next week? How about you just let me do it my way, and uh, and I will read that line after that. So, Tessa, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Swayla Tessa. Swayla is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nanny Ogg's Book Club. If you liked the first episode, which came out a couple weeks ago, we put a copy of it on the monkey feed. And if you heard it there and you liked it, you should go check it out on the main feed. Again, Nanny Ogg's Book Club. You can find that podcast on Twitter at Nanny's Book Club and on Instagram at Nanny Ogg's Book Club. Tune in next week. We will be joined by Melissa of the Wild Pretty Things podcast, who will be talking about The Shining. Sam, where can people find you? Unlike Tessa, who is becoming the Nigel of our podcast, you can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris nine. Okay. You can find me on Twitter at Andy Noted. You can find us on Twitter at Monkey Backlog. You can email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. You can go to our website, monkeyoffmybacklog.com. Our theme song is Hot Shot by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now go and get those multicultural monkeys off your backlog. Don't worry. It's going to be two hours when I'm done editing.